That's what it says on reference.com. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be a little skeptical. Reference.com, Alan. You couldn't you can't. be wrong. They don't let you register a domain like that. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, the week doesn't begin on the same day in every culture and country. Hmm. I had never really critically thought about this until recently when it was on a podcast. Yeah, so this is in reference to the latest episode of one of my favorite podcasts that I think is also a podcast you love and enjoy, and that podcast is Cortex, and this was episode 85, Gray's Nonlinear Life, and Mike and Gray are talking about productivity stuff and they're talking about how they modify their calendar apps most calendar apps will let you put the start day on of the week on any day that you want and which is hilarious by the way and they put it on monday because clearly that's when the week starts i mean those that is when the week starts well so that's when the week starts in the uk i would argue you could make a case that that is also when the week starts in the u.s However, and I would say we're back on Calendar Corner, by the calendar way. Calendar Corner. Is, uh, brought to you by <laughs> the Acme Calendar Company. We need, we definitely need a calendar sponsor. We'll put it on the list. But, however, I don't know how it works in Canada, but in the United States, spoiler, I do know how it works in Canada, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but in the United States, most calendars start on Sunday. I would, yeah, this is something I was never critical about because it just does, and yeah, it also starts on Sunday. Or at least I'm like staring at a Sunday started calendar and that's been that way, I think, by default. I don't think I purposely changed it that way. Although it occurred to me when I was hearing that conversation in between Mike and Gray, um, which is always entertaining, uh, that I wanted to yell into the the podcast, which, of course, I'm sure they got many people saying the same thing that was my thought, which is, yes, the day does start on Monday, but I feel like I have a logical reason why I want my calendar to start on Sunday, even though it's showing me the last day of the previous week and then the first day of the next week. Because they, they, they made this big argument about why, no, but the week doesn't really start on Sunday. The week really starts on Monday. How could anyone think the week starts on Sunday? And I'm like, no, of course the week doesn't start on Sunday, but you want your calendar to start on Sunday. Okay, so before we get into all of the fact details I have, why? <laughs> um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Because I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, after the first time they talked about this, I changed my calendar to start on Monday. Okay, so my calendar does have weekend stuff on it, and that's important sometimes, but I, I think yeah. about it primarily in work context. And so once, uh, generally when I am l- during a week uh, of work, I want to see that, that week of work that I, I'm looking for. I'm rarely looking backward. I don't normally care what happened two or three days ago in the week. And okay. so when, and by default, the calendar will generally show today. And so when I'm looking at, when, I, when it's Sunday and I'm looking forward to the week, the work week in front of me, I want it to show the work week in front of me and not just show nothing because the week is now quote unquote over. What What view of the calendar are you describing? The week view. So I see... I mean, this is okay. I'm in the week view, and right now, Wednesday, we're talking about Apple's calendar app, right? Yeah, so Wednesday is highlighted. So I'm in the week view. Yeah, Wednesday is highlighted because we record this on Wednesday nights. And so for me, if it was Saturday, that would be the last day Uh of the week, and I would would only see days that have gone by. So my day of the week that Saturday, they don't keep scrolling, it doesn't continually scroll. Now, I. I, I know that there. this is something that I've talked to somebody who built a calendar app once and I was like, 
why doesn't the calendar app just always start with today in the week view and then show me the next seven days? And they're like, well, that would be really confusing and blah, 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 blah. And so apparently that's why a lot of calendar apps don't do this. Um, although in the, you can but scroll left. Do you know right. that Apple's calendar does do this? Uh, well, by default, like when you load it up, it will show you the current week in the week view. That's true. But if you go to scroll in week view by and change it to week comma stop on today... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is happening? What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. You just changed everything. (laughs) Fun fact. An Apple Calendar app, you can go into the preferences and you can say scroll in week view by and choose the option week comma stop on today. (laughs) And it will show you. And have what Alan wants. Your future. Well, then then why would you ever have it start on Sunday? It should always start on today. (laughs) That's the right answer. Discard your fact. Insert this new fact. This is amazing. This is amazing. I'm so happy right now. Right. And that's what you want. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> however, <laughs> the fact is actually about, about the inconsistency of calendars around the world. Yeah. It is interesting to me that the default is different in between Canada and the United States. Right. So, there's two pieces to this that I that I found interesting as I started to look into this because I also had something I wanted to scream at the podcast while I was listening to it, but it wasn't your thing. It was the idea that there is a country that I have lived in where the weekend is not Saturday and Sunday. Mm. And that country is Israel where this, the weekend is Friday and Saturday. Right. Friday being a holy day. Saturday being a holy day. Saturday being a holy day, Friday being the day of the work. Okay. <laughs> but, so, and then Sunday is a normal work day in Israel? Yes. Yes. So the work week in Israel is Sunday to Thursday. Huh. Yeah. So so I started reading about this and I learned a couple things that I thought I would share with our audience. The the first thing I, I learned was the history of the modern weekend. So there have been a lot of different week lengths throughout the world, although seven days is really surprisingly consistent. The Romans had like an eight-day week for a long time where one day was a market day and French Revolutionary period, they briefly had like a 10-day week and like there have been other things, but seven's pretty consistent. But the first notion of an extended sort of post-industrial, a post-industrial revolution work break week end thing apparently started in Northern England in the early 1800s and was a deal between factories and workers that if they got half of Saturday off and all of Sunday off, they would show up sober on Monday morning. (laughs) Nice deal. It's good for everyone. Isn't that a great deal? Yeah. Everybody wins. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And then apparently the first five-day week with a traditional weekend in America was in 1908. It was in New England. Uh, There was a cotton mill where they wanted to hire Jewish employees. There were a bunch of new Jewish immigrants. And so they wouldn't work on Saturdays because, as we covered, it's a holy day. But they wanted to make up their work on Sundays, which then offended their Christian mm. coworkers. So they eventually just made the weekend Saturday and Sunday. But it wasn't until 1940 that two-day weekend and 40-hour work week became a law in the United States. I didn't, I'm not sure if I realized that the weekend was, the, was part of the law. It is. It is in every country around the world, or most of them. And which days it is has been the subject of trade negotiations. I believe Japan didn't have a two-day weekend until like 1990 or something when there was like a some sort of free trade agreement mandated that. Huh. So so if you look at the at the at the world view of countries in in Europe and the Americas, most countries have a 
Monday through Friday work week with Saturday and Sunday weekend, what we would sort of see as traditional here. But Mexico and Colombia have a Monday-Saturday week with only Sunday off. Hmm. So many Muslim countries, as well as Israel, as I said, have a Sunday through Thursday work week with Friday and Saturday as the weekends. But Iran, Djibouti, Palestine, and Somalia only have Fridays as their weekend. But those are... Uh, it's Friday their holy day in Islam? I, apparently, apparently, yeah. and it, it, it must be. That's their only weekend huh. in those countries. Nepal, by contrast, only has Saturdays off. Okay. Malaysia is probably the craziest one. Well, one of the craziest ones in terms of difference from us. Malaysia has different laws state by state. As to what days are the weeks are and, yeah. Correct. Some of them are Sunday through Thursday and some are Monday through Friday, which to me seems insanely confusing. I I can see now why the surprising feature of just pick the day of the week that you start got added to the calendar app. Right? Writing a calendar app is really hard. Brunei has Friday and Sunday off. No. Yeah. So actually, but then now you can actually work backwards. And from our, if Islam's holy day is Friday and Christian's holy day is Sunday, and you have a country that has uh, Muslims yes. and Christians, Good and you job. end up getting Friday and Sunday, and Saturday is like, ah, oh, well, we don't have enough Jews here, so you all have to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Huh. It's wild. It's completely wild. It it's just it it's once again it's like those lists you see sometimes on GitHub of like why everything you think you know about names is wrong or time zones. Right. Yeah, you make a bunch of assumptions about this thing. You're trying to and this comes up yeah. when you're coding, if you're trying to code something that handles dates yeah. or names or you know like one of the <laughs> infamous ones is you might write some code that assumes that it, that a time only goes by once. Which is normally <laughs> true. But, you know, <laughs> we occasionally get uh, we get daylight savings time changes. And once a year, that time yeah. happens twice, relatively soon after one of the time zone changes. Uh, when I was working at Fitbit before my current job, figuring out like, OK, if I go for a run and I cross a time zone or I enter from daylight savings time to not or I did it in the morning and then I fly to someplace in a different time zone, like what day does this activity happen on? And someone might be really mad if you you defy their expectations because they wanted to like get the achievement for like you ran every day and then it's like oh actually because of the time zone you ran twice tomorrow and you didn't run today so you lose your streak. Yeah, yeah, for achievements exactly. Yeah, it's really really confusing. It's not at all consistent. By the way, how many hours worked per week and how many hours worked per day also vary dramatically between different countries. Yeah, that's less surprising. I typed in this so you mentioned that. Uh, the law is that you in United States and Canada that you have to have the weekends and that Saturday and Sundays. Well, probably it's not mandated Saturday and Sunday, but it's mandated that you have two days off. Um, and I, if you have a forty-hour week, you divide it that over seven days, you actually get five point seven, almost six hours a day, which is almost as annoying as working eight hours. Uh, and that would be like the worst <laughs> work schedule is working five point seven hours a day, seven days a week. And I can see why they made a lot of this. Like, yeah, that that would just suck. Please don't do that to anyone. So as far as I can see, Djibouti works the shortest number of hours on average per day at 6.7. It's still pretty respectable. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people that are not getting more than 6.7 hours of work done per day. And they're still doing a pretty good job. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. And then uh, Burundi and Cameroon and some others are at 10 hours a day on average. 
Is that on the work days or on of the whole across the whole week? Typical hours worked per day of the working days, I believe. Right. So like a standard day for them would be like a nine to nine or a seven to seven or something. So they work 50 hours, uh, 50 hours a week, but only seven days in Cameroon. And they work 50 hours a week and only seven day, and only five days Sorry, in, uh, in Burundi as well. Yeah. So they're just doing 10 hours a day, five days a week. One input to that that you sometimes don't, maybe you take for granted in a country that is either mild climate or has air conditioning as an assumption is that there are some places where there's certain times a day that you just no one's going to get anything done because it's so hot. Yeah. And, on, and uh, it, on the flip side of that, in Nepal... They work seven hours during most of the year, but only six during winter. Because you it's, it get so cold and so, so cold. You, you don't want to be out yeah. after dark getting home. Yeah. Yeah. Some places work different days and different hours, depending on whether it's a holiday month, like for Ramadan. In Taiwan, apparently you have to have one mandatory day off and one flexible day in every seven days. As in like people get to pick their second day off? Correct. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hmm. In Zimbabwe, most people work a half day on Saturday. I mean, it's just like every place has a different thing. If people can pick their day off, I can see that changing like work office culture a bunch. Well, I know that in in Switzerland, when you take a job, you get the offer as though you're going to work whatever there, you know, 40 hours a week, I believe in Switzerland, uh, 42 hours a week in Switzerland, excuse me, 8.4 hours a day. And then you get to decide. So you accept the job at the amount of money they're offering for that full-time position. And then you get to tell them what percent between zero and a hundred percent you're going to do oh, the job. And then they wow. pay you that percent. Huh? Yeah. And, and so they can't discriminate, discriminate against someone who wants part-time. Correct. And you're allowed to say 10%. I don't know if there's a, you know, limit. I would imagine that there must be, but I don't, I don't know. As somebody who has <laughs> recruited up a team and managed communications across a team, I definitely, uh, am very, uh, enthusiastic about wanting to accommodate people with different working schemes but if you keep trying to hire someone to solve a problem and it's like okay can you be our cto yes okay i will work five percent of the time <laughs> <laughs> i would be frustrated by that i would you know I would, that would be challenging yeah if anyone knows the the exact deal on switzerland please you know leave us a five-star <laughs> review on itunes or tweet at us at funfact.fm do whatever it takes to get us information because I would like to fully understand it. I just, I know that that is a thing. But yeah, so it's just like you you see this feature in the calendar app of like, who would start their week on Wednesday? And then it's like, not even, we haven't even gotten into like people who just work non-traditional schedules yes. here because they're, you know, service industry employees or they're government employees or they're tourism employees or they're self-employed or whatever. But like, if you, you know, if you want to make, if Fantastical wants to sell their calendar in, you know, 190 countries or whatever. They need to have that feature. So I definitely feel uh, like we've now made a good case uh, to the Cortex. Like we've made a good rebuttal to the Cortex argument that when the week starts is is some sort of, you know, fundamental truth. Definitely not fundamental. Yeah. Or, or even like it's, it's not even like a <laughs> it seems like it's a pretty it's a pretty weak, uh, pretty weak standard. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, of course, they could just say, oh, yeah, well, I don't live in Burundi, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, both of them work with people all over the world. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if there's any Relay FM yeah. shows based in Burundi, but... I don't know, but maybe there will be. Are you ready for 
a plant fact? Oh, I I am. I'm I'm not going to say like if you had asked me to guess what kind of fact might be coming, plant fact would not have been high on my Well, it's list. specifically plant-based food, which is... Ah, that would have been more... Less, less <laughs> present. But I found this topic really fascinating because okay. although I'm not a vegan, I don't have any particularly dietary orientations. Are you, you're not even vegetarian, are you? I'm not even vegetarian, but I have, in the last few years, as I think a lot of people have, become a, trying to be a little more actively thoughtful about, you know, how are we uh, interacting with the world and, you know, being a little bit less uh, ignorant of the, the cumulative damage all the crap that we're doing is. Do you think having a child was part of that motivation? You know, I think probably that was part of it. Yeah. It, I think that's it makes a bit of a longer term um, thinking a little bit less. I kind of right. get to the end yeah. of the week uh, and a little bit more. Right. <laughs> well, we know, no, I know. You put I the calendar on today and then scroll it. And it starts like, it. That, that problem is solved now. So now in the last like yeah. 30, 40 seconds, I've been thinking about how <laughs> we, humanity impacts the planet. Wait, did you research your entire fact while we were discussing this? Because that would be impressive. I'm fast. You're, that's very fast. So um the the that that general topic has been really interesting to me and so i have a fact about that fun fact the impossible burger has received almost 700 million dollars in funding making it the most funded plant-based food startup ever and potentially the most funded food startup of all time the wait wait wait, hold on the Impossible Burger, which is the, the for those of you out there who don't know, this is a meat replacement burger that supposedly is the closest in, in taste, texture, and feel to a meat, an animal-based burger. Yeah, and the stick being that it's so realistic of a, of a match that it, it seems impossible. That it could fool people. It seems impossible that it could exist. Yes. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Yes, seems impossible. Yeah. I'm going to tell you I tried it and i don't agree with that assessment it's but... impossible Arik. <laughs> 700 million dollars but uh but but you're telling me that 700 million dollars have been invested yeah, in just this? in the last couple of weeks apparently 300 million uh more so they had 400 million uh and then they've just secured a deal where they're going to actually roll out uh, in all burger kings um which is like seven thousand restaurants yeah, there's a lot of Burger Kings. And say what you want about Burger King, uh, but there's a lot of restaurants, and so it's really raised their profile, and so apparently that was part of uh, them securing their uh, $300 million more, or at least helped them finish off that round. So, Well, so th- side fun fact, Burger King actually had the best veggie burger I've ever had at a almost any restaurant ever in the UK when I was briefly, I spent like a year there in, in, in the early 2000s in Scotland, and the Burger Kings there had a had a veggie it might have been vegan, but either way, a non-meat burger that was incredibly good. That actually is interesting and probably fits in with this investment the Burger King is making. Because if they happen to, they would know if they have a disproportionate number of vegan or vegetarian people coming to Burger King already, then right. they could better justify making this investment to try and roll out this super uh, vegan burger to all of their 
So so did Burger King just invest $300 million in the Impossible I, Burger? I don't think Burger King has taken an ownership stake, but they're obviously putting a okay. lot of uh, they're putting a lot of money into the sort of marketing of prep and putting a lot of trust into this uh, in order to be able to kind of help scale out this business. But the, this, I actually haven't tried an Impossible Burger. I haven't had the opportunity yet, but I find it fascinating. I've tried the, the Beyond Burger, which is like their sort of slightly less hyped, uh, but, but it's kind of similar competitor that recently i think went uh public on the stock market um i believe yeah and they've been doing pretty pretty well as well um but i i find that all tempered by my my kind of skepticism that grew out of some of these previous attempts at building uh big businesses Uh, have we talked about the the just mayo fiasco on the show briefly but not really yeah so this is the 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 startup called it was called just i think it was called just mayo and then now the company is just called just as in like justice for you know plant-based foods or the just way of of being uh humans on this earth oh i always assumed that that was implying that there was nothing in there but mayonnaise well it's the opposite of that because there's no mayonnaise because it's actually made out of peas oh this is like i can't believe it's not butter situation yeah it's an i I can't believe it's not mayo um and so the story of that which i can link up uh that was posted in bloomberg a few years ago uh was that the company was being investigated for juicing sales numbers by buying its own mayo buying their own i remember this and throwing it away <laughs> yeah they were buying their own mayo and just like because they some deal they had where that made sense right yeah well they wanted to get it in their goal this is in this idea of like achieve goals at all costs and so their goal was right. be in every whole foods like that was how they were going to get their next round of funding and so their management or whatever was like we're going to be in Whole Foods at all costs. And the, the only way they could figure out how to do that, apparently, was to just get it into one Whole Foods and then buy lots of the mayo. And then Whole Foods is like, oh, I guess people like this mayo. And then they spread them out to all the Whole Foods. And then they need to start trying to buy it at all of them to like, it was, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an entertaining story. And they have people like going undercover trying to like buy the mayo. And then they have like 40 cans of fake pea mayo. Uh, pea mayo? <laughs> Well, it's it's made of peas, like peas. Okay, peas like the like like peas in a yeah, pod. like peas in a pod. Okay, you can't just say pea mayo on a podcast and uh, and leave it at that. Well, I mean, I don't know the full ingredient list, but uh, <laughs> the primary one was like peas from just pods, peas, um, which is actually a yeah. reasonable ingredient that's been being used apparently in more plant alternatives but my point with all that is just that that's made me a little bit more skeptical of this uh hey we're a billion dollar company that's going to replace meat uh, and and animal-based food uh please invest in us um but this uh all the kind of like you know the the hype seems to now on the impossible burger has been uh now kind of seen to transition into it seems like they might actually have a business they're actually selling as far as we can tell uh more and more burgers it seems like they actually have uh a business going there and so i want to kind of dig in a little bit more and like kind of understand it of like is this actually hype and the, the most fascinating like sub fact i found out of this is uh that they have a new recipe oh um, i'm sure you heard about this because you no. when did you try it it's been a while yeah so they they were doing like lots of like limited runs where just a few restaurants would get a certain number of them because uh, they hadn't really figured out the mass production yet oh it's hard yeah and especially when you're doing something that's pretty un- unique 
Um, and so they, in this year, actually just a couple months ago, have transitioned to a new recipe that's easier to mass produce. And that's part of them, like kind of rolling out at scale. Um, and so uh. the new recipe is, is supposedly according to them. And it seems like this is the case, um, that it's both tastier and healthier. Wow. Well, of course they say that. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty interesting what was in it. So I figured I would share the ingredient list. Okay. And this, and in the context that like the idea of, the the plant-based foods are being like healthier for you or at least you know more you know they seem more wholesome right and so i was like what is in this so the impossible burger contains nothing but water soy protein concentrate coconut oil sunflower oil natural flavors potato protein methyl cellulose yeast extract cultured dextrose modified food starch soy lahemoglobin salt soy protein isolate mixed tocopherols zinc glutenate thiamine hydrochloride sodium ascorbate niacin pyridoxine hydrochloride riboflavin and just a dash of cobalamin this is like when they read product names on ATP. <laughs> <laughs> it just kept going uh you know, we should, I could do a whole thing on like the natural flavors part of that. Yeah. Natural flavors. I think let's, let's fork that off. Yeah. But this list to me, if it was like seven or eight things, I would have been like, oh yeah. Okay. They got like a bunch of junk in there, but this was so many things. I wanted to like understand <laughs> it. Did you, oh, please tell me where this is going is that you attempted to look up what all of these things are. I have looked up what all these things are. Oh, I love it. And I this so like much. I went from being like, that's disgusting to yeah, actually, OK, you know what? Maybe I, I, I still want to I still want to eat one at least at least try one still after kind of investing. Oh, OK. Oh, so you're saying it went the other way. You were like, OK, I've looked this all up and nothing in here is. Well, OK, there are problems. But the my, my personal philosophy is that the the idea of having less processed food and trying to have things that are a little closer to nature has certain benefits, uh-huh. right? Like if you're, well, how is this less processed? That sounds like a lot of processing. Well, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, that's why I, I, I think that it is right to be skeptical of this kind of ingredient list. Ah, I see. Okay. In general, if you are going to eat uh, something that has one ingredient over 10 ingredients, if that's all you know about it, then that's still probably like a net win. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, that idea has maybe gone a bit too far in our culture. Uh, and maybe people okay. aren't uh, sufficiently critical about the way in which something that is a very mundane ingredient sounds silly when it has given its technical name. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if we called every, if suddenly a law was passed where we had to refer to every animal by their like genus. Right. And suddenly it would seem very wild and scientific. Yeah. And have you met my new canine familiaris? Right. And it's like, oh, you got some weird animals. Okay. Like I don't trust that. Right. <laughs> uh, and yeah. the extreme kind of joke example is there, there's this Facebook campaign and this has been a long running joke, but a Facebook campaign against, dihydrogen monoxide poisoning have you seen this dihydrogen yeah so dihydrogen monoxide is a really dangerous uh it actually kills like hundreds of thousands of people a year uh if there's a certain hundreds of thousands yeah it's it's one of the the it's a really big killer across really the history of humanity okay um and uh too much of it can cause all sorts of problems uh it can cause corrosion uh of certain materials yeah i think i see where this is going yeah so it's water it's water yeah Um, 
and and yeah. and dihydrogen monoxide that's two hydrogens one oxygen and when you call it dihydrogen monoxide and you describe some of the things water can do it can destroy buildings right like you know, other fact th- check snopes.com is dihydrogen monoxide dangerous <laughs> and the answer is like <laughs> yeah water is dangerous in ways but it's pretty okay <laughs> but it shouldn't be banned yeah let's not ban water so <laughs> i think there's been a bit of a, a dihydrogen monoxidization of a, a yeah, of a lot of the things when we are are, and then another example is the monosodium glutamate thing, where there was generations of people who were felt like an important health decision they could make is avoiding MSG because avoiding it was MSG, artificial yeah. and it had these kind of, oh, maybe health problems. Uh, but it turns out that... Uh, study after study after study shows that it's actually perfectly fine and there's lots of it naturally occurring in lots of foods that we all eat and it just it tastes good so shut up basically yeah the wikipedia page for msg has a safety section and the first sentence is msg is safe to consume yeah and it's not one of these like there's some things that they put in food where it's like well you know if you put little trace amounts then it hasn't been proven to be unsafe but like msg has been very studied it's fine i will say this i will say this the MSG thing, I, I feel like is pretty recognized at this point. It, that tied into some, some pretty questionable, you know, political biases and implicit biases and things like that. But I do think that so in in Germany, the standard for food is that uh, you, and I think in the entire European Union, the standard for food is that you have to show that it's safe before it's legal, whereas the standard here is that you have to show that it's unsafe before it's not legal and those are very different absolutely so there's a lot of things that they have uh that they use in food in, in the united states and i think canada is a little bit stricter than the united states um but not all i think the everywhere to... is a little stricter than the united mm-hmm. states yeah so this ingredient list so i won't go through all oh, there's like 20 things oh no you definitely should but yeah probably probably but not. there there are some things that think that i thought was interesting so let's start at the bottom from the like in the just a dash of cobalamin just a dash just a dash of cobalamin just a dash will do you <laughs> just a dash will you do need a lot because that's vitamin b12 oh um and actually the if you go into the and some uh, in their ingredient list they actually uh, do indicate some of these as as what their vitamin names are but then some of okay. them they just say uh they have the chemical names for them but they are actually vitamins. So the bottom one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. The bottom eight, in as far as uh, quantity, are all vitamins. So why put vitamins in the, the the burger? Do you know? Well, they put vitamins in the burger partially because there are it is like they want to have a good argument that this is a healthy thing to be eating, um, and okay. the the okay. higher quantity ingredients don't have much nutrition in them. Ah, so this is to balance. This is mm-hmm. not for flavor. This is to balance health. Exactly. There's okay. again, you could be reasonable to have some cynicism about added vitamins and are they as good as vitamins that occur naturally and some vitamins can be only absorbed in other ways. Sure. Um, but we could have a separate fun fact about enriched flour and how many like lives that saved and improved to just stick some vitamins into white bread, which is horrible. White bread is horrible, but it's got enriched. Everyone's eating it. Everyone's eating it. And actually we're all healthier. So I mean, we're not vitamin deficient, <laughs> um, so it's okay. Anyway, um, 
so these are so uh, cobalamin is vitamin b12 riboflavin is vitamin b2 uh, pyridoxine hydrochloride sounds horrible. horrible that's vitamin d b6 oh. uh, niacin is vitamin b3 okay and thiamine hydrochloride which also sounds horrible vitamin b1 okay so okay, okay. <laughs> things okay. are improving things are improving sodium ascorbate does not sound great vitamin c which people love the idea of vitamin c yeah uh, niacin, uh, I think, did I mention it's vitamin B3? You did, uh, but it's okay. Z- zinc gluconate okay. is just the form of zinc that you can digest. Good. I like digesting um, things that I eat. Yeah. And well, <laughs> and also you need a certain amount of zinc in your uh, body. And you, I think you get zinc often from meat. And so, oh, so they were like, let's throw the zinc in. Seems there. reasonable to have some zinc in there. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, and then mixed tocopherols also sounds horrible. Like the, All of this sounds bad. Yeah. Vitamin E. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that whole bottom thwack of stuff uh, is in itself, I think, a good demonstration of how... Dumb the way that we do this is? Yeah. That, that it's, it's hard to both uphold the ideal of that simpler food is better which and less processed food is better, which is true in general uh-huh. in a vacuum with the fact that some compounds that we need to live and are extremely both common and standard and part of our our bodies that we need uh, have horrifying names in chemical terms. By the way, tocopherol apparently means to carry a pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, not as horrifying as the But it would be weird if I was reading the ingredients list. And it was like, okay, riboflavin. And you just only got that far in your research. To carry a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something. Okay. Not sure I'm going to eat this. Yeah. Or maybe I am. Uh, <laughs> depends <laughs> what your goals are. I don't know. what you... It <laughs> very much depends on what your goals are. Um, next up, soy protein isolate. Okay. That just sounds like soy. Yeah. So it's soy. So a lot of ingredients that you'll see in these lists are modifications of mundane things. Ah, um, sure. So they... They isolate out the protein from soy, which like is what it says. Uh, and this is done for uh, two things that are actually really important to if you want to make a burger-like thing out of plant, uh, which is it improves the texture and it retains moisture. So you get a juicier burger. Right. Cook it. Very important. Uh, so it's like, you know, obviously soy protein isolate is probably not as good for you as a full soybean. Um, and there might be some consequences to eating huge quantities of it. Uh, but that's why it's there. And it's based on soy. And it's, you know, as all of, with all of these things, it is understood to be safe. Okay. Uh, they do actually are, are launching the possible burger in Sweden with one change to ingredients, which I will get to. Um, okay. But as my understanding is that these are also safe in Europe because of that. Okay. Um, that's my assumption. I haven't actually super verified that. But uh, next up is salt, which we all understand why you want that in there. It tastes good. Soy lehemoglobin. So Ooh. this is the secret sauce. Oh. This is what makes the Impossible Burger special. I don't so think impossible. they've... Yeah, why, this is why it's impossible. Uh, it's because I don't think it had been fully understood either the role that this plays in what makes meat taste like meat, or probably, I think more so, the uh, method with which you can mass produce this thing, and that if you put it into plant-based uh, food, then it tastes like more, like, a lot more like meat. So hemoglobin is the thing in blood that holds iron, basically. Okay. Um, I'm not a biologist, but that's my understanding of it. Um, and Please don't sue you us. Can, <laughs> please don't sue us for <laughs> if you're going to perform b- biology <laughs> based on the information in this podcast please 
Yeah. Leave us a five-star review to clarify any facts before you. <laughs> um, hemoglobin. So hemoglobin, part of uh, blood is where it's uh, an iron, uh, part of the iron process in uh, animals. And uh, it makes the meat uh, taste good and it makes the Impossible Burger taste good. But it's hard to get in large quantities um, generally. But they have it. They actually are able to produce it. Um using a process from fermented yeast that has been genetically modified to produce this uh, hemoglobin, which is a soy. There's hemoglobin in all... Wait, 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 hold on. So this is a genetically modified food. This is a genetically modified food, ah. specifically... Uh, well, so yes, in in specific, they get this these hemoglob this hemoglobin chemical, which once it's been extracted is, in theory, equivalent to any other soy hemoglobin, which is uh, basically it, the equivalent uh, iron carrying thing in the soy plant, but is being produced at scale using a modified yeast organism as opposed to being produced at scale from soy, which is impractical. Even though this thing naturally occurs in soy, but how do you? Why do you? How do you know how to say this? Because I'm looking at this word, and there's a G. Leghemoglobin. Leghemoglobin. Yeah, it's, it's like, like soy. It's like legume. It's like the leg comes from legume because the soy is a legume. Oh, so, and then hemoglobin. So leghemoglobin. Leg. I might not be saying it perfectly. Leghemoglobin. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard so that's word. a word you can use on a daily basis. If you, you once you use it three times, it's yours. <laughs> once you, if you say that's it three times in the mirror at night, then a burger drops from the sky. <laughs> then, then tasty plant burger appears. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the soy like hemoglobin, and the two interesting things about it are that hemoglobin is the the thing that makes it taste like meaty, yeah. and uh, that they made uh, weirdo GMO yeast in order to to produce it. Yeah. But yeah, I am not a GMO skeptic. I don't know. Maybe that's a separate fun fact, but. Yeah, we need to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, so maybe we fork that off. Next up, modified food starch. Uh, the, the thing I find interesting about this, like modified starch is a very standard thing. Any, basically, any processed food has modified starch. Okay. Um, generally, they, I mean, starch is like a thickener uh, and has just lots of, maybe starch is starch, like it's a common food ingredient. Mm-hmm. Um, but they often modify it in order to um, make it react at a certain temperature. And in this case, probably that when you fry it then it does it thickens up is the my guess <laughs> like it's fairly you know just from using common sense uh, but modified food starches in pretty much anything if you look at a um at a, a instant something it probably has that okay the thing that i find interesting in this ingredient is that they chose not to say which they're allowed to if you have modified starches if it's not wheat you don't have to say where it came from and so Huh? They've chosen not to. They've co- they've just called it modified food starch. Yeah, this is part of the secret sauce. Yeah, it might be cornstarch. It might be this. It might be that. And so the the uh, generous thing is to say, well, they just don't want their competitors to know what kind of starch it is. Right. And then the less generous thing is that it's you know I don't know something 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 awful. that you would. Yeah, but I mean, I think once you get to GMO soy hemoglobin, it's like I feel like they're not worried about that. No, the, clearly, clearly the ingredients people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably modified people starch. Yeah, pretty sure. Um, but that uh, that is uh, is a pretty common ingredient. Cultured dextrose uh, is a preservative, uh, which is one of those all the things like, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if we didn't eat preservatives. But then your stuff goes rotten really fast and gets bacteria and uh, fungi and stuff on it. And that's not great either. So 
it's got a preservative deal with it uh <laughs> next up yeast extract this is your msg they don't call it msg because right. it's not quite it's not technically monosodium glutamate yeah, but it's a uh, glutamate but they, it's a glutamate and glutamates yeah. taste so good <laughs> Uh, if you have anything that's like umami, uh, in like, you know, soy sauce, uh, but also cooked tomatoes have a lot of glutamate in it. And that's why they taste so freaking good. Yeah. I've been, I've learned more about this umami stuff because my wife was a, a pretty much addicted to a, a, a German product. I think it's German, but a European product called muggy, which is like a, mm-hmm. like a mite. It's like a marmite kind of thing. Yeah. And and then a nutritionist was like, maybe just use this umami salt instead, and that is now what is in my house. Yeah, because it doesn't. It doesn't. You don't need a lot of salt salt in right. order to get that umami. Yeah. glutamate flavor. It's the glutamate flavor. Yeah, yeah. And so if you again, we can like fork off a fun fact, but we already touched on uh, <laughs> glutamate and ten how episodes about the impossible burger. <laughs> it tastes good. Deal with it. Uh, no, uh, glutamate, it's... Uh, you don't even know if it constantly. tastes good. You've never had it. Glutamate? No, we things... I love things oh, with glutamate. Oh, oh, you're saying the glutamate. I'm saying yeah, you haven't had... It. We need to have an Impossible Burger now, you and me. This is going to be a mission. We're going to do a live yeah. episode where we, we got to eat it, burger. and then we got to talk about it. Okay, we got to finish up this list. Okay. Methylcellulose does not sound very appealing. No. Uh, but you... It sounds like they make movies out of it. They do make movies out of methylcellulose. Oh, damn in fact okay i'll fully first tell you it's food use because okay. that will make it slightly less disgusting when i tell you the movie <laughs> use <laughs> so uh methylcellulose is a thickener and an emulsifier okay emulsifier being something that prevents things from separating you don't really want your burger separating into its constituent dextrose and hemoglobins you don't want your burger to, no i don't want that well that i don't maybe you do. no no maybe that sounds awful i like my burgers to be fairly homogenous yeah, i want to i want to homogenized burger and you can see uh why you would want a thickener in uh this sort of you got a bunch of plant goop you want it to yeah, like you gotta keep it all together keep it all together in a burger yeah. Uh, yeah. so that's why it's in there and methylcellulose is also in lots of stuff uh it's a common uh, food ingredient it also has some fiber in it so you actually have some dietary fiber in the ingredients yeah. list in this thing comes from this uh the movie use of it is when you want goop oh. normally you apparently uh, you'll take the uh, some methyl cellulose and water and just make a thick mixture, uh, and it makes uh, like safe, uh, like you can get in your mouth or whatever because it's a food additive, uh, goop. So uh, in like Ghostbusters, when things get slimed, that's methyl cellulose and water. Okay, so it was really impossible burger all along. It was yeah. So <laughs> I, that's their new. I'm gonna make a pitch to them on the marketing side. I think they should really pitch it as the burger with ghost goop in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, ghost, ghost approved. I mean, we can work the exact phrasing a little. <laughs> <laughs> Kids love that slime stuff, so they love that slime stuff. Yeah. Uh, next up, potato protein is what it sounds seems like. like. Seems yeah, a reasonable seems right. thing to have in a yeah. plant thing. Natural flavors is the thing that can fork off into its entire own it, other yes. fat. <laughs> Sunflower oil, coconut oil is where the fat comes from, which is where a lot of the tastiness is built. Okay. Uh, and then soy protein concentrate, which is the largest ingredient by quantity other than water. Um, and that is kind of the the bulk uh, core of it is, is soy protein, which um, you could probably, we could dig into that, but I think it's probably not very, you know, interesting other than the fact that their soy protein in the new recipe uh, comes from GMO soy, and that oh, man. Impossible Foods has an entire article about why they think that like they don't they don't they don't 
come across super condescending about it, but they make an argument, which is, I'm sure, marketing generated to a degree, that it is immoral to use non-GMO soy uh, for this purpose because it requires way more herbicides and way more chemicals in order to keep it growing. Huh. And the GMO in this case is uh, the, I, did, I don't know if they, I don't think they mentioned it in the blog post, but it, it, the, I th- assume it's the Roundup resistant, um, but like there's certain um, herbicides that, and then they will invent a herbicide uh, and then they'll, they'll make something that is resistant to that herbicide so that they don't need to use as much chemicals in order to uh, grow the stuff. So I, I will definitely leave that as an exercise to the reader. If A, you agree with their argument, or B, you think it's sketchy to be uh, genetically modifying our crops. But we GMO crops often, so I don't think it's necessarily that unique to uh, impossible foods, but I think it, I did think it was unique to see them arguing as to why that is like the sustainable ethical thing to do, which I haven't fully processed that argument yet, but I thought it was interesting. I do find, I also find it interesting that if you go to their website, to their fact, they are very honest and point out that they are not organic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely a fascinating product. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they, led $700 million me. is a lot of money. $700 million is a lot of money, and these ingredients, you mix tocopherols. I mean, you claim it's vitamin E, but yeah, don't we don't know. know. You got the GMO stuff in there. Uh, and so on one hand, it's like kind of horrifying, and you could imagine it being a gong show, but you could also you see how someone could be swayed, uh, at least if you read some of their stuff and, and some of the reviews and some of the state of the planet, well, how someone could be swayed that, that maybe this is the future of building a sustainable food that isn't, you know, besides the sustainability of the environment, there's also like the treatment of the animals. Yeah, um, no, for sure. So. I, I, did you notice that if you go to their website, though, the, they have a pic, first picture of like presumably the ingredients. Oh. Uh, I do and, not see tofurciferol. Or, <laughs> you don't see, you see mixed oh, tocopherols? Well, a lot of these things are just white powders. So yeah, they don't I don't know. Which one of those is monocellulose? Is there any white powder in the photo? Yeah, there are white powders in the photo. Okay, then it's truth truth in advertising. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's actually a pretty great photo. Yeah, they. I mean, $700 million will get you some decent marketing. Yeah. And their marketing is, is good. I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I felt like reading and investigating this stuff uh, I learned a bunch of stuff and I uh-huh. felt like at least for my sensibility, they struck a reasonable balance in between like enough marketing BS to like not, you know, they got to do their job. But that, you know, in the FAQ, it's like right up front. What are the ingredients? Here are the ingredients. Blah. Here's this giant list of of stuff. Um, and uh, and this thing about the GMO, not like trying to hide it, but like actually, OK, we're just going to get ahead of this and have uh, a bunch of discussion of why it's GMO and how that we think that that benefits the product yeah i think that's very respectable so well, well people can disagree that. people can talk about it but it's good that they're out there yeah and I, I mean i think it also comes across as a little more genuine or at least plausible from a company that has a reasonable argument it's like hey if people eat our product more uh then there's less strain on the planet and there's less animals that are being hurt sure yeah you know they, they get some credits that they can then bank on for some potential marketing bs in order to compensate for that well i for one look forward to our corporate overlords deciding whether i eat or not when all food has been replaced with the impossible <laughs> burger <laughs> it'll be in pill form and just expand when you eat it yeah exactly
Uh, yeah, so stay tuned for when tickets go on sale for our, our live eat, where we try an Impossible Burger. Dude, we definitely need to eat an Impossible Burger together. Maybe not on the show, but we could then talk about it on the show. Yeah, I think the main problem with getting it on the show is that it would probably not be warm and tasty anymore by the time no, we... No, I think we just need to go, because we are going to be, I believe we are going to be in the same physical location in like a couple weeks. Yeah, actually, that's true. Maybe we'll have so. to make that a mission. Yeah, we need, to, we need to eat an Impossible Burger, I think. And I know we have a friend who also probably would want to eat that, so... Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's make it happen. Yeah, let's make it happen. So, uh, okay. So you were talking about healthy things, or at least questionably probably healthy things? Potentially healthy things. Oh, actually, one last (laughs) side fact. Oh, please. Fun fact about the Impossible Burger. The uh, saturated fat. So the original Impossible Burger had 70% of your daily saturated fat in it. Yeah, it was insane. It was completely out of bounds. And so they've ramped that way down to 40%, which is in line with a similar, like a McDonald's quarter pounder. Okay. It's similar. And and so, like, it, it's unfortunate that saturated fat tastes really good. So they <laughs> kind of, to make it taste good, they kind of had to keep that in there. Yeah. Also, a bonus, bonus, final fun fact about Impossible wow. Burgers. They have 2,350% of your daily thiamine. That's a lot of thiamine. I mean, you can't have too much, apparently, because I would be worried about 2,000%. But apparently, because otherwise they'd be giving people ODs. <laughs> they're like, no problem, here you go, 2,300%. I used to get 1,500% of my daily vitamin C, and it, it made me sleep badly. You mean sodium ascorbate? <laughs> I do now. <laughs> yeah, we just got to be accurate on the show. Yeah, yeah, we're very, it's, we're, we're very into accuracy here. All right, so I had a potentially healthy food fact. Yes, and I have a something going in the opposite direction. <laughs> so, uh, fun fact. The best way to give someone a cold is to wipe your nose, then shake their hand. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems true. Yeah, it's gross, but uh-huh. also true. But what I find interesting about this is that uh, they actually did studies on this. Oh, no. So, so the studies in the 70s and 80s, which would probably not be allowed today. Mm-hmm. Purposely infecting people? Infected students at several universities with the colds and then tried to figure out how they were transmitted. Mm-hmm. So in 1984, the University of Wisconsin put five sick, pe- sick people and nine healthy people in a small room and had them like hang out and play games and, you know, do whatever for a few hours. None of the healthy people got sick. Okay. Yeah. So then they were like, let's ramp it up. Right. So they had all of the people stay in a small dorm room together with no open windows for three nights. They were required to get there at some time and then leave the next morning and not leave in between. Okay. One person out of 11 got sick. Okay. Okay. So finally, they had healthy and sick people kiss. (laughs) Right. So it's something that I, I... Thought your fact was intuitive when you said, "Yeah, the best way is wipe your and, and and shake hands." But it didn't occur to me that they tried more invasive maneuvers. Right. So they had them kiss for, and this is really random. I don't know why this was their methodology, but for one and a half minutes. That's a, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But just solid, like making out. Uh huh. <laughs> one person in thirteen got sick. Huh. So they concluded from this that it's it's actually pretty hard to catch a cold from someone. However. In 1978, so six years earlier, a different study, and, you know, trigger warning, this is a little gross, but... That this is gross. The thing that's coming up is gross. <laughs> so this is pretty gross. Yeah. A different study had six sick people cleaning their nose with their hands. Like, as in just digging out 
No, I think they're just rubbing your nose when you're sick, you know. Okay, okay. As you do, because it's running. Yeah. And then shaking hands with a healthy person. Mm -hmm. Then the healthy person would rub their own nose or eyes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. So in this study, 9 out of 15 people got sick. Okay. So I think they've they've finally answered my age-long question. Should I... Shake hands with somebody who just wiped their nose and then wipe my own nose. Right. And the answer is no, I should not And the answer is no. So basically, don't shake hands with anyone ever. Well, oh, yeah. Or at least wash your hands after you do. And I really think maybe we should all just be carrying Purell everywhere we go. No, especially if you like conferences are the extreme example. People right. talk about the post-conference flu because it's rude not to shake someone's hand. And you do want it. You see someone, oh, hey, good to see you or nice to meet you. And you want to shake the hands. And uh, people are going to be out even if they have a cold because it's like, well, I flew all this way. And, I'm uh, here. You're mm-hmm. here. It's the only chance I get. So yeah. So do you think that so certain societies have made much better choices about sort of a common greeting, bowing, bowing? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's well, getting a cold. Japan's really got it figured out because they they bow and then they also uh, actually yeah. This is Japan and China, I believe, uh, this is, it will be a cultural thing that you have the little face mask if you, if you have a cold that you think is transmissible, and they'll they'll wear the mask so that you're less yeah, no one to... will feel but actually that's not even necessary p- p- potentially because the other thing that i learned through this is that uh the 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 things that come out of you that might might have the virus in them like you know use tissue or if you were to sneeze on something uh, it doesn't live very long outside of you yeah i've heard that there's a few people there's a few germs that people really overestimate how hardy they are once they're outside of your body so it's hardier than some. I mean, it, it does last for, depending on the surface, between a few hours and at maximum a few days. And a few days is a long time. But sure. that's really only if it's like on a stainless steel surface or something like that. Anything porous, like a like a tissue or something, it's it's maximum a couple hours. And you cannot get yourself re-sick because your body is already used to those germs. Yes. Yeah, that I did know. The thing about it being a, soft, a porous surface, I was counterintuitive to me. I only learned that recently that I'd imagined that the smoother and more cleanable a surface is, the less likely germs would live there. But it's the other way around. It's Completely the, the other way around. The, the yeah. surface that you like the that that rough couch in the in the uh, you know university hangout room where yeah. you're like, oh man, that couch oh, has disgusting. to have so many germs. It's like, because you can't clean it very easily, um, it, that actually the germs will die out on there faster. Uh, whereas if it's like a polished Johnny White, Johnny White, <laughs> a Johnny I have White, <laughs> Johnny White, <laughs> he'll polish, he'll chamfer. You just can't stop him. Uh, like you, the Mr. Uh, clean of Canada. Exactly. You, you'll get uh, the stuff living on there a lot longer. Well, glad we finally covered that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody out there, wash your freaking hands. Wash your hands. Please. People, please, please wash your hands. I think it's time for follow up. Follow up. Follow up song. I'll just we write need a follow one up song there. Well, we, they won't hear this part because they'll just hear the follow up song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there is uh, a, a little bit of follow up on uh, last episode. We accidentally had a fun fact about monitor uh, hearing yourself when you are talking on the oh, phone. Oh, we did. Yeah, that's right. Um, which is something yeah. that I am always imploring Arek to turn on during the show so that he can hear himself just haven't in case he's it. not talking into the microphone still, correctly. Still, he still has not done, done that yet, but we'll keep campaigning <laughs> one day. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, you can all be rest assured that you hear it on your phone, which is something that not everyone 
had been aware of. But since then, I've done a little more research into that. Uh, and oh, I have nice. learned Good that job. it is called side tone, not monitor oh. when it's on your phone. Okay. Um, and it was considered an important uh, feature of phone networks, especially as people are learning how to use the phone, but even in the long term to make sure people are speaking in reasonable volume. And the volume of the side tone actually can affect people's uh, uh, how loud and how appropriately they talk. So in, in apparently cockpits of airplanes, you can actually configure how much side tone you want to is how much you want to be able to hear yourself in the headset. Really? But if people turn it too high, then they end up speaking too quietly. And then the people on the other end can't hear them very well. Um, so that's like part of the training apparently. Um, Fascinating. but the kind of that thing that I thought was just kind of cool about that was that, uh, apparently there's a standard that you hear 8% of yourself on a landline and 4% of yourself on a, se- a cell phone huh yeah. so that's a, a little side tone for huh. i need to pay attention because i didn't know until you told me that i heard any percent it's it's something that everyone knows but they don't um but i don't know it well you know it in subconsciously because oh. if you suddenly or if you're if you're on it turned I mean, up or down i would change you would probably notice if it turned up and down but also when a line cuts out like, you know, in the, the horror movie, lady, like, hello, hello, uh-huh. uh, you can't hear yourself. You can tell that there's no connection. Oh, that's how you know. The, when the line is dead. It's so this like is you a little even... bit like when a, when, a, when a modern Apple laptop is powered down and then you try to press the, the right, trackpad. Right, and then you can't click the trackpad. Like, why does this not click? It's just, a, it's, it's, it's just nothing now because it, it's, all, it's all fake anyway. Yeah, and you're not consciously thinking of the feedback. It's just there. It's just part of the system. Cool. But you, your brain knows it's missing when uh-huh. it's there, and so you have this. You can have you have a sort of a sixth sense of a dead line. Okay, if you're talking and you don't hear yourself. Uh, and actually, there's a kind of a side thing about that, which is that because people associate the deadness with the line not working, when they invented uh, modern uh, noise cancellation uh, on digital systems, which is basically if I'm not if if the system doesn't detect me talking, then it just mutes. Like so then if I'm just listening to you and there's like just like air conditioning in the background or a car driving by, it doesn't actually activate because it doesn't detect a voice. Um, and so when they initially implemented that, they muted it to zero, but then a people thought they'd been cut. The line had been cut off or like mm. they would, they, they would, the background noise contributed to them, their perception that the line was active. And then the other part of that is that, uh, some systems would assume that you weren't there anymore and would hang up on you. <laughs> some like intermediary <laughs> systems. So does that uh, partially work because there's a delay? Uh, well, the delay isn't necessary as part of it. And actually, if you, for side tone, well, it has there's to a be delay. because if it's muting me, it's not going to, it's going to miss, it's going to clip the beginning of me talking, no? Uh, I think it just had, I mean, the phone systems need to react really, really, really quickly. Maybe there's a very slight delay, but it needs oh, but to react so, very quickly. It's so quick that we don't, we can't tell. Yeah, that's the idea. It's imperceptible. The solution to this problem of, you could say it's impossible. Um, The solution to this thing of the thing feeling like you're cut off was to actually, there's white noise in the background of a phone conversation when Mm -hmm. someone isn't speaking uh, that is actually fake system generated white noise, not the actual white noise of their space. Wow. This is like my Tesla pumping out noise so that birds and stings can hear it as it drives by. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They call it comfort noise. Hmm. Makes you feel better. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's my follow up on telephone side tone. Thank you. You got anything? I want to eat an Impossible Burger. I'm now hungry. You want to eat an Impossible? Burger. Oh, yeah. Mm. When I was doing that research, I got really hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry now, and I had dinner. I had to eat a bunch of garbage in order to like keep powering through. I believe it. 
just like eating monosodium glutamate packets. <laughs> I have never actually tried just tasting it directly. I I tried tasting the top ramen seasoning. <laughs> sure, which is probably mostly glutamate. Yeah, and it is delicious. Fun fact, glutamate is delicious. 